the Bible never points us to the Bible. And we can't get that wrong. If we confuse that, then we've totally misunderstood the point of the Bible. To a lot of Christians, the menu has become the meal and the map has become the treasure. Welcome to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Hello and welcome to The Dismantle, a show for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. On this show, we attempt to dismantle or take apart an issue that might be problematic for the church by having a conversation with a guest who has insight or experience with that subject. Now, we won't always agree, but we won't argue because our goal is to gain understanding and perspective by sharing views in a way that builds bridges but not barriers. Our guest today is Keith Giles. Keith is a former pastor who abandoned the pulpit to follow Jesus and ended up founding a church where 100% of the offering is given away to help the poor in his surrounding community. He and his wife recently moved to Boise, Idaho to start a new house church. He is the author of Jesus Unbound, Liberating the Word of God from the Bible. Keith, welcome to The Dismantle. Joey, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Uh, It's my supreme honor, and uh, I'm very blessed to be here. Thank you. I am so excited for our conversation today, Keith. But before we dive into that, before we get into our topic today, could you share with our listeners how you got introduced to church and to faith? So I think, well, the way it happened was I was I was always asking questions about God. My parents never took me to church. So um, I never actually went to church, uh, I think, until I was probably maybe eight or nine years old. But I, but I still used to like lay in bed as a little boy and sort of talk to God, you know, like I always believed there was a God. I did visit a church one time with my friend uh, across the street. So that gave me some ideas about God. But I remember asking my mom once about like, you know, about heaven and hell and how do we know you go to heaven? And and uh, and she did the best she could to answer, but she didn't have all the answers. So and I'd actually remember being very frustrated with that. We That was in Tennessee. I was born in Tennessee. Then we moved to Texas. And when my parents started visiting, we went to Methodist churches. We nearly became Mormons for a while. And um, we ended up at this place called the Lighthouse Free Will Baptist Church. And for the first time, I kind of, it kind of made sense. Like what the pastor was saying, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I just thought this makes sense to me. And um, I remember there was an invitation given. I couldn't move my legs. They were like nailed to the floor. And uh, so the invitation was over and I was all upset. So I told my dad, I said, um, and I think it was about nine years old. I told my dad, I said, dad, I, can you go tell the pastor that I, that I wanted to go forward just now, but I couldn't. And he said, and I love my dad for this. This is my favorite things he's ever done for me. Uh, My dad said to me, no, I will not do that. He said, but I will go with you and you can tell him. And so I love that he did that because I needed that. Like my dad knew enough to know that I needed to be the one to do that. Um, And so, yeah, I went up and kind of tears in my eyes, told the pastor and, and he prayed with me. And, and then my my dad and my mom and I, all three made professions of faith and were baptized at this little Baptist church in um, Eagle Pass, Texas. And that's kind of my when I, how I kind of first got introduced to the faith. Um, that's where I first sort of met Jesus. And then, um, yeah, you know, we were just kind of off and on involved in church growing up, mostly Southern Baptist churches uh, growing up in Texas. That's really cool, Keith, and thanks for sharing that. Today on the show, we're talking about some of your thoughts from your book, Jesus Unbound. Now, the title of your book has this line, what if the Bible actually keeps us from hearing the word of God? Keith, can you share a little bit about 
some of the why of this book. What led you to write this book? Right. So I probably, I feel like I should probably explain that statement. Um, so the, the subtitle of Jesus Unbound is liberating the word of God from the Bible. And that's in very in, intentional. I, I put a lot of thought into that subtitle because for many Christians, what I've learned is that to them, the word of God is the Bible. The problem with that is that that's not what the Bible says. And uh, that what we see is that the word of God is Christ, right? We know this from the gospel of John that the, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And um, so there's, there's this very weird, I've noticed with, with a lot of uh, my friends, a lot of Christians that I've encountered in the real world, as well as online, sort of a confusion about, about the, in other words, it goes beyond just confusing the word of God with whether it's Christ or whether it's a book about Christ but it's even attributing to the Bible things that they should be attributing to Christ. For example, I, I see all the time and hear all the time uh, from Christians that the, the Bible will change your life. Well, the Bible will not change your life. It's a book. The Bible can't do that. No, Jesus can. And you might read about Jesus from the Bible or something about, you might learn something from the Bible that might help you to understand the ways that Jesus can change your life. But it's Jesus who ultimately does that work, not the book about him. <clears throat> and so the, I, I just run into these kind of things a lot. And I felt, uh, I really felt like, um, well, for example, I mean, even just, to, even just to post on social media the statement that the word of God is not a book, but the, the word of God is a person. Um, and, and when I do that, I just get unbelievable pushback from, from Christians. Uh, and so it's sort of like odd to me, like, why would this be a problem? And usually what happens is I'm, I'm accused of having a very low view of scripture, but I don't at all. I mean, I, I spend the whole first chapter of my book of Jesus Unbound. Uh, it's all about how much I love the Bible. I do. I love, love, love the Bible. I've read it since I was a young man. Um, I've read it multiple times. I've got, I read it every day. I write books about it and blogs about it. And I do podcasts about it. I love the Bible. I don't have a low view of scripture. It's that I have a high view of Christ. And the confusion is sometimes that when I'm elevating Christ above the book about him, I get accused of having a low view of scripture. But that, of course, that's not at all what's happening. Uh, I, the one simple thing I would say is this, and this is something that I want Christians to really understand, is that the Bible never points us to the Bible. The Bible always points us to Christ, and we can't get that wrong. If we confuse that, then we've totally misunderstood the point of the Bible. And so uh, I'll wrap this up, This, and you can go to ask me another question. But, um, but here's what I've noticed, that to a lot of Christians, the menu has become the meal, and the map has become the treasure. And, and if, if once that happens, you have not understood the menu, and you've not understood the map, uh, and you've actually missed the point of the menu if you don't have the meal. If you, you miss the point of the map, if you don't actually uh, use it to discover and experience the treasure. Um, again, I think that's that's what I have noticed is the biggest problem, is that Christians have fallen in love with the book about Christ, uh, unfortunately, to a greater degree than they have fallen in love with the Christ that is spoken of in the book.
I see this idea that the spirit, and, and if you're unfamiliar with that term for our listeners, the Holy Spirit will never contradict what is written within the word of God. Um, can you unpack some of that? Yeah, well, that's that's a very common uh, phrase I hear it all the time. In fact, I'll be honest. I mean, I used to say that all the time, and I think I, I really did used to believe that. Um, and, and typically, though, here's – I mean, first of all, it sounds good, right? It sounds like, well, yeah, okay, So, the, but the Holy Spirit will never contradict what's written in the Scriptures. But what that is – what that statement essentially does – is say that you really don't really need to listen to the spirit because the spirit's not going to tell you anything different than what's in the Bible. So you really don't need the spirit as long as you just read and study the Bible. I mean, essentially that is what is being communicated to us. Um, so that's, that's the one thing I think is the first clue that there's something wrong with that statement because actually uh, when we look at the Bible, I would say, I would argue this, and I do argue this in the book, in my book, Jesus Unbound, that, um, that the evidence of, of what we see in the Bible is actually that this Holy Spirit quite often contradicts what is written. And this, and we see this happening in the Bible. I mean, we see it happening with Jesus when he shows up on the Sermon on the Mount and says, you have heard it said, and he quotes what is written uh, in Moses in, in uh, the Old Testament. And then he says, but I say to you, and he says something else. Um, so Jesus does this all the time. Jesus is quite often contradicting what is written. Um, we also see this when Jesus is walking with his disciples and, um, they meet, uh, they see some people that, uh, that, you know, kind of are against them. Uh, and, and, uh, James and John say, they refer to what is written. They say to Jesus, shall we call down fire from heaven to, to consume them? Because that's what Elijah did. And they say to, Jesus says to them, you know not what spirit you're of. Uh, for example, another example is when Peter is praying on the rooftop and um, the spirit shows him unclean animals and, and commands him to kill and eat those unclean animals. Because what's written is you shall not eat these animals. But what the spirit says is, Peter, kill and eat. And those are just some examples. There's all sorts of examples. So I would say actually the, the evidence and example of the, of the scripture is that the Holy Spirit will quite often challenge what is written. Um, and I think sometimes, unfortunately, Christians today are holding so tightly to examples in scripture of what God was doing 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago that we are missing what God, what the Spirit wants to say and do today because we are so hung up on what, well, wait a minute, does it match what he said 2,000 years ago? Does it match what he did 4,000 years ago? Um, the early Christians in the New Testament, uh, prior to the New Testament, before the New Testament scriptures were canonized uh, around the year 400, um, they had no Bibles. They didn't have copies of the Old Testament because it was very expensive to have copies and scrolls of the Old Testament scriptures. And they didn't have, you know, in their back pocket or in their hands, uh, what we would call the New Testament scriptures today. And so what did they have? Well, they had the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit spoke to a, a body of believers prior to there being a Bible in everybody's hand, um, and the Spirit said, go here and do this, they would just immediately stand up and go and do that because the Spirit told them to. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why it says that the early church turned the world upside down. That's because they were completely led by the Holy Spirit. Whereas today we have a Bible 
And unfortunately, what we, I think, do too often is the spirit prompts us to do something or say something or, uh, you know, to do something. And, and then we say, well, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. Let me look that up in the Bible. Uh, does that match what's in, written in the Bible? Instead of just being obedient to what the spirit's calling us to do. So um, I, I challenge that idea that that the Holy Spirit will never contradict what's written. I think that, I mean, that's where I came up with the title, Jesus Unbound. Jesus is not bound in a book, right? Um the word was God. The word was with God. Uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've been trying to put the word of God back into a book ever since. Now, off the top of my head, there's a movement of, of that would fall under Christianity that is very spirit led and, and maybe more charismatic than maybe some more traditional conservative views and, and expressions of God. Do you think that there's a balance between that or is some misunderstanding about what's happening within that version of being spirit-led? Well, yeah. So I think what I have to say at this point, uh, Joey, is that what, when I'm talking about being led by the Spirit, I think I need to I need to clarify something, that it's not as if, by being led by the spirit, we're never going to get it wrong. Um, because for example, on the other side, Christians on the other side of the, of the coin who say, no, 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 we need to just follow the scripture. Well, it's not as if by following only the Bible, you know, we have 2000 years or more of, uh, of church history that shows us that by just studying the Bible, we've gotten it wrong plenty of times. And so um, I'm not suggesting that, well, by sort of loosening our grip on what's written and being led by the spirit, we're not going to get it wrong. Look, human beings are always, our, our capacity to get something wrong is endless. Uh, we can get something wrong, whether we're holding tightly to the scripture or whether we're trying our best to be led by the spirit. I personally feel that we're in a much better place. We have a much better chance of getting it right. If we are developing our, uh, our abilities to abide in Christ and allow Christ to abide in us and to learn to listen to his spirit. Again, we're probably going to get it wrong once in a while. Um, I, I think that's always going to be part of the equation. Um, and so, yes, certainly there could be a quote unquote spirit led person or a ministry or a church that might get off, uh, get astray a little bit, but we all need, uh, we all need to be aware of that. We all need to be careful of that. And we all need to do what we can to make sure that we, uh, are accountable to other believers, that we are submitting ourselves to uh, to other other people that we respect and um, that we allow them to speak into our lives. So I think all that is still very, very important. Um, and so, yes, certainly we could follow the spirit and there could be spirit-led ministries that go off uh, the deep end. But I know plenty of other ministries that are in churches that are by the book that are also, I would say, in... Um, kind of some bad places and have gone off straight uh, on astray as well now when we look at what's within the bible we see second timothy three sixteen that tells us that all scripture is god breathed and useful for teaching rebuking correcting and from that i think many may look at that and say well the bible is all we need but the way that we know God before we know about him is through reading, which, i.e., the Bible. Keith, if I could ask a question, how can we know Jesus without the Scripture? Oh, that's a great question. Um, and I'm glad you brought up 2 Timothy 3.16. Um, 
So, so I, what I would say about that passage, by the way, is that the um, if we really do look at that passage, I think that passage has been taken way, way out of context. Uh, Christians quite often will use that Second Timothy three sixteen uh, that says that all Scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and, and teaching, etc. Um, that they'll use that as proof. They'll say, "Oh, therefore, see, uh, the Bible is inerrant and infallible." Well, those two words are not in that scripture, and I would submit that, first of all, um, another way to look, if you look at the Greek of that sentence in 2 Timothy 3.16, uh, the word, in our English Bible, it says scripture. The, tr- it's tr- the word is translated scripture. But the actual word in the Greek is the word graphis, which is the common word for writings. So I believe a, 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 an alternate way of looking at that statement in 2 Timothy 3.16 is this. <clears throat> All writings that are God-breathed are useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, etc. <clears throat> so in other words, um, if a writing, if any writing is God-breathed, then yes, it's useful to us. And it, and it, it helps us, uh, it can guide us, it can, you know, it, can, it can be an inspiration to us from God. But it's not, uh, I think it's wrong to assume then that what that scripture, what that verse there is telling us is that um, everything is necessarily God breathed. I think we have to first determine well what is God breathed. Uh, and in my book, what I what I'm arguing for is to taking not a flat Bible perspective to the scriptures, but a Jesus centered or Christ centered perspective to the scriptures. That we begin with Christ. And by the way, I think this is what Jesus tells us to do. This is what Paul tells us to do. It's what the early church did. We start with Christ. And there's all kinds of examples in the New Testament. Um, of how we, this happens and why this should happen. That we start with that, that Jesus is the one, as the Father says from the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my son, listen to him. Uh, this is after he, the Father has removed Moses, who stands for the law, and Elijah, who stands for the prophets. Um, he's, he leaves only Christ and he says, this is my son, listen to him. Uh, Paul, Paul tells us, right, that, um, that a veil covers the eyes. He says, he says, to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers all. Uh, our eyes, and that only in Christ is that veil removed. So uh, again, and there's many other scriptures like this where uh, we have to begin with Christ. We have to first know him and abide in him, and he abides in us. And if we first know Christ, now we can tell um, what the truth is. Then we can determine what is God breathed, and then in what way is it useful for teaching and rebuking, etc. But I want to ask, I want to answer this. The last thing you asked me was, how can we know Jesus without without the scripture? Well, certainly, in the beginning, we learn the most information about Jesus uh, by reading the Bible. But I would submit this is not the only way to really know Christ. And I would say it's actually not the way that the Bible encourages us to know Christ. Um, that the, um, In fact, I would say even the entire point of the whole New Covenant uh, is fulfilled in this idea of knowing Christ in a deeper, intimate way outside of things that are written about him in the scriptures. Um, so in Hebrews, sorry, I'm going to pull up my Bible here. In Hebrews chapter 8, um, the new covenant is repeated. It's, it's spoken of in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, but Hebrews chapter 8 repeats it. And it says, uh, this is the covenant, God says, I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man, his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them 
to the greatest. And so again, the, what, what we see in the scripture is that the encouragement that we can all know him. This is the whole promise of the new covenant that Jesus made with us, um, that, that he will be our God, we will be his people. Uh, Jesus says, he says, he's the good shepherd and his sheep can hear his voice. So yes, we can know information in the beginning about Jesus, but then it, it can't stop there. We have to go beyond this to actually knowing, uh, and really knowing Christ. So um, uh, th- there's another, there's another um, place where Jesus says, I think in the Gospel of John, where he says, now this is eternal life to know God and his son whom he sent. Well, the word know there, when, when Jesus says that the eternal life is to know God, uh, that word know is not the word for information. It's not just knowing stuff about Jesus or not knowing just knowing stuff about God. It's not information. Uh, it's the word gnosko. And that word maps to the same word that we use when we say that a man knew his wife and she conceived. So it's a deep, intimate knowing and experiential knowing, an intimate personal knowing that conceives something within us, which is this new life of Christ. So um, I, I always like to say this. So when, whenever, anytime people say keep, you know, but you wouldn't know anything uh, about Jesus if it wasn't for the Bible. I, I like to flip it around and ask Christians uh, this question. So if I took away your Bible, would you still know Christ? So in other words, do you, yeah, I get it in the beginning, you get information about Jesus in the Bible. But if I, once you know this information about him, if you never ever owned a Bible again in your life, uh, I hope you would still be able to hear the voice of Jesus. I hope you would still know Christ uh, apart from this book that, that is about him. Now, you also mentioned that God didn't give us a manual, but Emmanuel. Why do you think that we as human beings want the manual? And why do you think it's important that we recognize that? Oh, that's a, that is an amazing question, Joey. Yeah, here's the thing. And you can see this with all kinds of things. If you've been in church any length of time uh, and grown up in the church like I have, and I think you did as well, um, you start to notice this. Like we love formulas, right? We love formulas for evangelism. Uh, you know, you give them the four spiritual laws and ask them these questions. If you die tonight, would you be in heaven tomorrow and all that? We, we love formulas, um, certainly when it comes to our, the way we relate to God. Uh, but what I notice again is that God doesn't, doesn't want formulas. He doesn't, doesn't play that. Um, so we, temp- we tend to think, well, if I do X and then God will do Y and then Z will happen. But once you have a formula, here's the thing. You don't need God. You've got a formula. And this is the reason why I think God completely, uh, at least in my experience, uh, if if God did something one way, one time in my life, I can guarantee you he'll never do it the same way again. Because he wants me to daily, constantly come to him and say, okay, Jesus, what are we doing today? Where are we going today? Uh, that is a daily living faith. And again, again, it's why we see in the New Testament over and over again, it's repeated this idea that, um, you know, when we pray, Jesus says to, we pray uh, for daily bread. We, we, we affirm that God's mercies are new every morning, uh, that we take up our cross daily and follow Christ. Like that, that idea of our walk with Christ being a daily brand new thing constantly, that is exactly what he's after. Uh, unfortunately, if we have a formula, then again, we don't need this daily living vibrant thing. We just have this sort of 
I do, I do X, God does Y, and then Z happens. So um, again, we're, we're called to something so much more vibrant and, um, and immediate, I think, in, in our relationship with Christ. Now, you also mentioned something, and I'd, I would love for you to unpack this a bit. The Word of God speaks to you. The Bible is silent. The Word of God lives within you. The Bible is an inanimate object. We don't have a relationship with a book. Uh, you mentioned this earlier. I'd love for you to unpack that a little bit. Well, that's exactly right. Uh, and, then I, and I do that little trick in the book. I go through this long list of things in the book, right? Uh, I do exactly that. Where I talk about, you know, the Word of God loves you. The Bible doesn't love you. It's a book. Uh, you know, um, the Word of God uh, will never leave you or forsake you, but you can lose your Bible, right? Because again, the Word of God is Christ and the Bible is a book. And so again, our, what we, if we're going to say that we're people of the book, here's the thing. If we're going to say we're people who follow the scripture, um, then let's let's really do what it says according to what the scriptures tell us. Again, the Bible never points us to the Bible. The Bible points us to a relationship with Christ. And so um, according to the Bible, <laughs> we are called to have a relationship with him and not a book that we wrote. Let's be honest. We wrote this book about him. Uh, don't settle for that. Again, we don't make the menu, the meal. Don't make the map, the treasure. Uh, the, 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 the Bible was, was written and we're, we're blessed to have it. And it's, it's a blessing that we do have the Bible. Um, and as I said, I love the Bible, but we can't stop there. We, we have to move on to what it's telling us about. There's an experience that the Bible wants you and I to have, and we're never going to have it as long as we are in love with and having a relationship with the book. I grew up in an environment where you had to be biblically accurate if you were going to go to public school, if you were going to have a scientific conversation, you know, anything that you had to walk through in life, you definitely had to have your Bible facts correct. You had to have the right information. And I feel like we've made reading the Bible, understanding the Bible, even a relationship with Jesus to some level about having the right information. And if we didn't, that would be the greatest sin we could ever do. Keith, how do you think we got to that point where we have to be right? We have to have accurate information. Well, um, that is a great question, Joey. I think the, um, first of all, the, it is true. I mean, whether, I'm not sure I can exactly trace out how this happened, but I, it certainly has happened. It's certainly, we are certainly living in a world today or for Christians today, uh, it seems to be all about having the right information. You have to have the right doctrines. Uh, we've, we've defined, we've redefined Christianity as having the right information about God and being able to pass this test. I'm going to give you 20 questions about God and Jesus. And if, if you can answer them correctly, then you're a Christian. Um, and if you get some of them wrong, then you're a heretic. Um, and then, you know, I want nothing to do with you. I can't be your friend anymore. I can't relate to you anymore. I can't be around you anymore. My kids aren't going to play with your kids anymore because you believe the wrong information about God. Um, it's really unfortunate. And it's certainly, again, it's become all about orthodoxy. Uh, orthodoxy has become what it's all about. I don't know if it's necessarily because uh, we have um, gotten to this place where 
we have canonized scripture and sort of made scripture in some ways an idol that we worship. And so it's all about understanding that book and studying that book. We've elevated uh, pastors uh, to the level uh, within our churches where they, they are also have to be experts in the Bible and they have to know all this, the right information about how to teach the Bible and study the Bible and quote unquote, rightly divide the word of God. We have seminaries that again, all about, um, making sure that we, that they spit out, uh, Bible teachers and pastors, um, and Christian leaders who have the, all the right information. But, um, but again, I, I think if we go back to the new Testament, and especially if you can go back and look at the early church, which I, I love doing, I, I love studying the uh, early church history. What I notice is, is that uh, it doesn't seem that Jesus or the apostles or the early Christians are so hung up on having the right information. Uh, it seems that seems that orthodoxy isn't the most important thing, but it seems the most important thing is orthopraxy, which is how do you live out your faith? So in other words, um, it's, it's, it doesn't matter so much what you believe. It matters much more what you do with your faith. I think the book of James is a great example, right? Where James says, uh, you show me your faith, um, uh, one way, but I'll show you my faith by what I do. In other words, it's, it'll become evident in the way I'm living my life. It'll make a difference. Um, I think one of the reasons why, uh, we become all about information, uh, we made the gospel of having the right information rather than, um, about the right practice is that we have, this is sort of the way we invite people into the gospel. Uh, I mean, into the kingdom, into the, into the church, right? The way we evangelize, we typically will evangelize with the right information, which is not the way Jesus did. Like Jesus never uh, said, you know, if you die tonight, you'd be in heaven tomorrow. And uh, here's these four spiritual laws and repeat after me this prayer and you know, all that. Uh, raise your hand if you don't want to go to hell when you die, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, what Jesus simply said was, in essence, hey, if for as long as you're alive, uh, how are you going to live your life and who are you going to follow? And Jesus say, says, follow me. And so it's all about a orthopraxy. It, it, it's about discipleship. It's about apprenticeship to Christ. And uh, I think, and that's very evident that, you know, churches are um, much more today focused on conversion which is about making uh, sort of converts, but we're not really good at the one thing Jesus commanded us to do, which was to make disciples. He even said, you know, the, the great commission is to go into all the world, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Uh, I've, I've been very shocked to meet Christians who couldn't tell you one or two things Jesus commanded. So we're doing a pretty horrible job at that. Uh, I think of, of ourselves being disciples. Like it has to start with us. Like, first of all, I have to become someone who's, intent on following Jesus in my actual life. Uh, because if I'm not, I'm, I can't teach anybody else to do that. And so uh, we've gotten away from discipleship. We've gotten away from orthopraxy. And frankly, because it's a lot easier, it's a whole lot easier just to memorize, you know, give me, the, give me the top 20 doctrines I have to memorize and get right. Oh, and then I'm a Christian and I'm in. Oh, great. Well, that's so much easier than waking up every morning uh, and taking my cross daily and dying to myself and saying, okay, Jesus, what are we doing today? Like that's, again, that's why Jesus warns us to count the cost. That's not an easy thing. Now, uh, a wrench in this conversation can be the accuracy and inerrancy of scripture conversation. Does that play a role in, in the conversation that we're having? 
Uh, yeah, I think it does. Um, because again, where, <clears throat> whereas I wouldn't agree with, um, with Christians who would argue for the inerrancy, which means that the Bible isn't wrong or that, uh, or the infallibility, or which means again, it can't, there's nothing wrong with it and there's no disagreement in it. Um, I disagree with that statement. Again, that makes a lot of Christians upset. And they think that what, what I'm saying is, is that the Bible is worthless and useless and nobody should read it. And that's, again, that is not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if you study the Bible um, for any length of time and in, in, in any level of detail, you are going to have to admit <clears throat> that the Bible is not univocal um, on many topics. I mean, just as an example, um, if you were to ask, uh, depending on who you ask in the Bible, or you go and look for the answer, um, you're going to get different answers in the Bible as to whether or not God required animal sacrifice, right? So um, Leviticus and Exodus uh, are going to tell you absolutely God demands animal sacrifice. And in fact, if you don't do it in the right way at the right time with the right person on the right month, uh, et cetera, you're in big, big trouble. But later on, um, you have Isaiah suggesting, well, maybe that isn't the case. Maybe God actually didn't uh, command people to uh, offer animal sacrifices when they left the land of Egypt. And then you have Hosea saying something like, uh, God demands mercy and not sacrifice. Um, and you have uh, David saying something like, um, you know, the, the, blood, the, the, the blood of bulls and goats you never required. Um, and then you have Jesus shows up and he sort of settles it by saying, again, what he says to the Pharisees, uh, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So that's just one example. So um, it doesn't mean then that we, we uh, throw it out. It means we acknowledge that the Bible is, is a collection of various voices. And actually, by the way, most Hebrew and Jewish uh, people look at their scriptures in this way. They, they're okay with the fact, they, they recognize and they even celebrate the fact that the Old Testament scriptures are a collection of different voices, uh, people who have encountered God, who have heard from God, who've experienced God and have written it down saying, this is my experience of God. This is what I know of God. But it's a conversation. It's not, um, it's not one unified sort of uh, script. And so... Uh, I think, again, we have to be honest about that, uh, that there are, quote, I mean, um, Peter Enns says it this way. He says that there really, aren't mis there really aren't contradictions in the Bible. There would be a contradiction if one person was talking, starting in Genesis and going straight through. Um, then, you would, then you would say, oh, look, he's contradicting himself. But there isn't one voice. There are many voices. And so what you have is um, maybe disagreements or different perspectives on things. Um, but again, to me, that doesn't disqualify the Bible. I think it adds to the richness of it and testifies to the fact that it was written by different people at different times with different perspectives. Um, and that means we can need to consider those things. Now, the Bible, the, the book in question here, has numerous verses about idolatry. We see it in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 John 5, Colossians 3, Isaiah 45. There's many others telling us all to steer clear of idolatry. Maybe a, maybe a triggering question here, Keith, but do you think that the Bible has become an idol for some? Oh, without a question, without a doubt. That's kind of exactly what my, my book is, um, is, is the premise of the book, I think, as I'm trying to say to Christians, um, hey, be very, very careful. 
because if if you're not careful, I think it's um it's a subtle thing where you can you can make an idol out of something that's not a bad thing. Uh, again, I'm not saying the Bible is a bad thing. I think the Bible is a wonderful thing. But um, even something wonderful that's a gift from God uh, can be an idol. If you put it uh, on par with, with God, or if you even uh, allow it to become more important for you sort of even to replace uh, God in your life and to replace your relationship with God. So absolutely, the Bible can become an idol. And I think that's something we need to be very, very careful about. And Keith, I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's blown my mind in so many different ways. But as we wrap up our time, what's something that you think the church can do to move in a more positive direction on this? I mean, we've covered so much ground and, 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 you know, really got some wheels turning, but you know, what's one thing that you think we should do if we were going to start the process of really understanding the quote word of God? Well, yeah, I mean, I, uh, again, I, I think the big pivot for me in my own personal life and what really shifted my understanding of, of my approach to the, to the scriptures um, was recognizing that there was another way to look at the Bible. And so most of my life growing up, I had what's really, I think, called a flat Bible perspective, which um, I think many, most Christians today are even encouraged to have a very flat Bible perspective. A flat Bible approach is that um, the entire Bible, again, is sort of like one book. It's all written by God. And, um, and anything said in any of it has just as much authority as any other part of it. So uh, all the scriptures have equal authority to, to, to each other. And I think, again, I think that's the wrong way to look at scripture. Again, it's the way I looked at it most of my life. But, it, but suddenly I realized I was doing some studies on the early church and on um, specifically it was about the Anabaptists. And, um, and in, in, in the book, it talked about how they took a Christ centered approach to the scriptures. And again, as I've already mentioned, you know, the, the reasons why, because, um, that, that Jesus, it says in the gospel of John that no one, and I, this is a radical statement, by the way, I think it's more radical than we have ever really given it, given it its full weight. It says in the gospel of John in the first chapter, it says, no one has ever seen God at any time, except for Christ, who came to make him known to us. And I think that is a huge, powerful statement. What it's telling us is, is that, again, as, as much of a blessing as it may be to have all these other books written by all these other people, nothing compares to hearing from the word of God made flesh. And that, that Jesus showed up to show us how we have gotten God wrong. Um, and, to, and to, to, to show us where we've gotten him right, because it's not as if we've always gotten him wrong. There are some things he affirms. But, oh, but, but what he's doing is to try and show us, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so what we have, what we should have is a Christ-like view of God. And we should take a Christ-like view of the scriptures. And um, I think if, if I can encourage any, anyone listening to this podcast, uh, would be to recognize, first of all, that there's another way to look at scripture. And that it's a way of looking at scripture that Jesus affirms, again, that the, the early church affirmed, the apostles affirmed, the New Testament itself, I believe, affirms that we start with Christ. We abide in him. So I would say get as close to Jesus as you can. Learn to hear his voice. And then don't allow anything to separate you from Christ. And certainly not the Bible, not your church, not your religion, not your denomination, not your, not your politics, not anything else. 
that uh, to do everything you can to keep Christ at the center and to abide in him and let him abide in you. That's a great word, Keith. Thank you. And, and again, thanks so much for making the time to be on the show. Where can people connect with you and how can they connect with the book? Yeah. Um, yeah. So thanks. Um, the book is available on Amazon. It's on, it's in print, it's an audiobook and in Kindle form. And in fact, if you're listening to this in the month of April, uh, 2019, it's uh, 99 cents, both uh, this book and my previous book uh, are 99 cents on Kindle uh, for the month of April. You can also find me, I'm on Facebook and on Twitter. It's just my name, Keith Giles, or you can go to my blog on Pathios, which is keithgiles.com uh, and connect with, with me over there as well. Well, I'll make sure I list all that in the show notes. But again, Keith, thanks so much for making the time. Joey, thank you so much. It was a blessing. And that wraps up this episode of The Dismantle. We would love to hear your thoughts on the topic discussed today, maybe your experience and ways that we can continue to create community. Visit the website at dismantlepod.com. And until next time, don't complain about the things you're not willing to change. You've been listening to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Visit us at dismantlepod.com.